Welcome, everybody, to today's episode of College Sports Talk with Lane. I am your host, Lane Christensen. If you recall from our last episode, we talked about the college football playoff and how we thought it could be fixed. Today, we will dive into the very controversial topic of college athletes being paid. We will look at the problem that college athletes face, the reasons why athletes should be paid, numerous solutions to solve this problem, and the solution that I personally believe is the most realistic and likely to happen. I'd like to start by reminding everybody that today's podcast is brought to you by Gatorade, the ultimate source of electrolytes. Before we get into this conflict and introduce our guests, I'd like to give a little backstory about my personal experience with college athletics. I was raised by a single mother for the last two years of my high school career, so I knew that college could be a struggle to pay for, and I was going to have to help my mom and pay for expenses where I could. With that being said, I was a pretty good athlete coming out of high school. I had the intention of playing baseball at the University of Wisconsin Lacrosse, who is one of the top Division III baseball teams in the nation year in and year out. When I got to school in the fall, however, around tryout times, I realized how much of a cost attending college brings, and I had to choose to take an on-campus job over trying out for the baseball team because under NCAA rule, I could not play a sport at a university where I was a paid employee. So although I'm not a Division I athlete by any means, I did, and I did not have to face many of the problems that they do today. I was stripped of being able to play the sport I love due to NCAA bylaws. With that being said, we'll go to commercial break, and when we get back, we'll introduce our guest for the day. Today's podcast is brought to you by Callaway Golf, the premier golfing outfitter. It is my pleasure to welcome my college roommate, Thomas Christensen, who is an avid college sports fan who has done a little bit of research himself on this topic. Welcome to the show, Thomas. Thank you for having me. Let's get right into it. I'd like to start by looking at the problems that college athletes face. I think the biggest issue is the amount of time they spend each week practicing for their sport, both in and out of season. It doesn't allow them to have part-time jobs to earn extra money, and it also takes away from their schooling. I, and I think many others, would tend to agree with that statement. Um, One of the articles I read from Forbes titled 21 Reasons Why Student-Athletes Are Employees and Should Be Allowed to Unionize by Mark Edelman in 2014, he states, the typical Division I college football player denotes 43.3 hours per week to his sport. That's more than the average work week for most Americans, and they have a few hours of class and homework to do each day on top of that. According to Patrick Ruby, in an article he wrote for the Chicago Tribune in 2018, he stated, they spent up to 40 to 50 hours a week on their sport during the season and up to 25 hours a week during the spring semester, compared with just 20 hours a week on academics. That's a pretty demanding schedule, in my opinion. And in that same article, the author states that although the NCAA claims that college athletes are just students, the NCAA's own tournament schedules require college athletes to miss classes for nationally televised games that bring in revenue for the NCAA. So obviously this quote is talking about the NCAA March Madness Tournament, but I believe this is the case in many sports, is it not? Yeah, think about all the class they miss because that's almost a month-long tournament. Plus, football national championship this year is on a Monday. True, I didn't think about that. January 7th, I believe it is. I think that gives the audience a brief look into this problem. I think we should go into the reasons why college athletes should be paid, and I think the number one reason is the amount of revenue they provide to the school and the NCAA. How much revenue do you think a star player brings in for a university? I honestly don't even have a guess. According to Dennis A. Johnson and colleagues in their article, Point Counterpoint, Paying College Athletes, from 2012, they said that 
a draft-ready football player returned $495,000 to the university, while a draft-ready player was worth $1.422 million for men's basketball. Just think about that amount compared to how much they would get in tuition, which could vary based on the school, but is much less than either of those amounts. So even if we consider the scholarship as payment for playing, there's still other ways an athlete makes money through something like the sale of jerseys and merchandise. I found this very interesting. In an article written by Roger Groves in 2016 from the Texas Review of Entertainment and Sports Law, where he makes this argument by saying, while the scholarship represents compensation for playing the sport, the athletes assert that they are owed compensation from another source. Money is made from the sale of merchandise, from video games, and from endorsements by advertisers and sponsors. That revenue is not from playing the sport, but from the residual marketing of the sport. So in this whole article, the author takes a stance kind of from the legal side of things and talks about the athlete's NIL, which is their name, image, and likeliness, which he believes is what, by law, that they should be paid for. Uh, just as an example for the audience, many, on, many universities will sell jerseys with athletes' number on it, but not their name. This uses their image and likeliness because everyone knows whose jersey it is, but it doesn't include their name. Yeah, I, I myself own a Wisconsin Badgers Jonathan Taylor jersey just like that. Yeah, uh, one thing I found interesting on the money side of things is from the article stated earlier by Mark Edelman, is that the NCAA has had close to $11 billion in annual revenue, and the University of Alabama had $143.3 million in athletic revenue. In that same article, they stated that, and I quote, University of Alabama football coach Nick Saban's new contract will pay him over $7 million per year from his university. It's just crazy to me that they can rake in this much money off a product put out by these college athletes and then go on to proceed to pay everybody except for the athletes that put out this product of entertainment. That is where people will go back to the main argument that the scholarship is compensation. In the article by Johnson and colleagues that we referenced earlier, he stated that, and I quote, the college, Collegiate Athletics Coalition estimates that the NCAA scholarships are worth about $2,000 less than the cost of attending university, and goes on to state, even with the full scholarship, an athlete will have to pay somewhere between $8,000 and $12,000 out of pocket to bridge the cost of living gap. That kind of goes back to the problem that athletes have these out-of-pocket costs with no chance of being able to get a job to pay for them and that scholarship just isn't enough. I think another one of the big arguments, especially by the NCAA, is that paying athletes will no longer make college athletes amateurs, but rather professionals. This is true. Uh, according to Thomas Baker in his article from Forbes titled, Why the Latest NCAA Lawsuit is Unlikely to Change Its Am Amateurism role Rules But Should, from 2018, he states, the strongest arrow in the NCAA's antitrust quiver is the product creation argument, and it centers on a presumption that consumers, like you and me, will lose interest in college sports if student-athletes are paid any amount of money that is not tethered to educational costs. This article later goes on to state that the NCAA should have a very difficult burden to meet because there really is no proof that consumers will lose interest in college sports if athletes are paid more than they are now. So basically what you're saying is the NCAA can and does use this argument because no one has proven otherwise? Correct. So with all the evidence displayed, what do you think should be done to solve this issue? In my opinion, only college athletes in big-time sports, I believe. Um, so athletes that play football and men's basketball should be paid. And in my mind, that's fair because they are you know, the sports that rake in the most income for both their university and the NCAA. Do you have any direct payment solutions? 
I think that the article by Johnson and colleagues that I've referenced earlier had some great ideas, such as an extra amount added to pay for those costs that the scholarship doesn't. This idea, in my mind, is the most realistic and likely to happen. Uh, my favorite idea from that article would be the revenue sharing proposal from TV or NCAA proceeds, in which the athletes would receive a percentage of the NCAA's revenue, which, as we stated before, was $11 billion. But I do not foresee this idea happening. Yeah, I think it'll be a few years until something happens, but I don't think there should be any doubt that athletes deserve more than what they're receiving currently. I would agree with that statement. Uh, sadly, that there is all the time we have for today. I would like to take time to thank you, Thomas, for agreeing to meet with me and co-host this podcast. It was uh, great to have you. Thanks. It was great to be here. Just a little recap of today. We talked about the problem that college athletes face, the reasons why college athletes deserve to be paid, along with some counter-arguments that are commonly used by the NCAA and the possible solutions to compensate athletes fairly. I would like to conclude by stating Mark Edelman from his article referenced earlier where he said, Division I football and men's basketball players do not merely play a sport of leisure. Rather, they are core members of their university's marketing team, as well as the labor force behind a lucrative secondary industry in hosting organized sporting events. That's it today. Thank you for listening to today's episode of College Sports Talk with Lane. Tune in next week when we discuss the age of current NCAA hockey players. See you next week.